If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. If you've been around over the past few weeks, we've been doing a, a series on the one another's of the New Testament. And as next week is the first Sunday in Advent, this will be the last in our series. Over the past, over the past few weeks, you know, as we've looked at these instructions, these commendations for how we as followers of Jesus are to do life, we've looked at loving one another, we've looked at belonging to one another, uh, Alex did a great talk on forgiving one another, Camilla did an amazing talk on encouraging one another, uh, we looked at being kind to one another, and last week we looked at honouring one another. And if you've missed any of them, I really seriously would encourage you to you go to the website, go to the podcast, listen to them, because they really, really do help provide a, a framework and a guide, really, uh, for how we are to be not only with one another here in the church, but with those that we encounter in our day-to-day lives, wherever that may be. And, you know, as followers of Jesus, you know, we're filled and equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. These, these hallmarks of what it looks like to be in relationship with others really begins to be transformational. We really are changed by those interactions in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's not only because they reflect, you know, Jesus' words of John chapter 15, you know, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, but also because they're a tangible demonstration and outworking of the kingdom of God. You know, it's not just all about signs and wonders, although that's part of it, an important part of it. It's just about the way that we are with one another. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And, and the reason for that is because, you know, the divisions, divisions between people, whatever those divisions may be, uh, strife or animosity or factions, breakdowns in relationship, anything along those lines, that's not, that's the antithesis of the kingdom of God. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. In and through Christ Jesus, God is at work and has been at work bringing people together. God's in the business of bringing things back together, reconciling, putting things right, you know, breaking down the separations that exist between us, knocking down the dividing walls and divisions that, if we're honest, we as human beings, you know, over and throughout history have used to differentiate ourselves. You know, whether they're divisions of race or religion or ethnicity or gender or class or, or whatever, uh, whatever are the endless ways that we seemingly come up with as we try to, if we're honest, assert ourselves um, over others and distance ourselves from others, especially those who are different to us. We kind of sometimes don't know how to be with those who are different from us and different to us, and so we create these divisions and segmented little spaces. You know, when we look at the Apostle Paul, one of the things that he's really committed to was helping to bridge one of the significant divisions that existed in his day, and that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul's letter to the Romans, it provides probably the most comprehensive summary um, of both the human condition and of God's actions throughout history on our behalf 
um, especially, obviously, in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As you'll know, uh, Paul was a Jew. He'd been raised and trained as a Pharisee. He knew the scriptures. He knew the Hebrew Bible incredibly well. He was intelligent. He was energetic. He was passionate. And he has this life-changing uh, encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And, and following that encounter with the risen Christ, Paul then devotes the rest of his life to telling other people about um, what God has done, not only in his life, but perhaps more importantly, how in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has fulfilled the hopes, not only of the Jews, and a, you know, as shocking and unexpected as a sort of crucified Messiah was to those who were Jewish at the time, but also to all nations by opening this door to a relationship with the Creator God and our Heavenly Father. In other words, in and through Jesus, Jews no longer needed to separate themselves and keep themselves separated from the other nations, but all people could be united in faith and community through faith in the risen Christ. Now, as you might be able to imagine, that's a pretty controversial message that Paul is trying to share, particularly because he often shared it in the Jewish synagogues. And the reason it was controversial is because there were a lot of people who shared his, sort of, his Jewish faith and his roots, and they thought that what he was saying was in essence a betrayal, a fundamental betrayal of the very traditions and values of his faith. But it was also a pretty dangerous political message for Paul to be sharing with, at the time, citizens of the Roman Empire, because here he is effectively saying that it's Jesus, not Caesar, who is the one true king, and it's Jesus, not Caesar, who should be uh, deserving of our worship. Anyway, towards the end of his letters to the Romans, Paul basically summarizing how everything that had been written in the scriptures reveals kind of God's plan all along, his desire all along was for all people everywhere to live in harmony with one another, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the reason that we can now all have hope and that we can now live in hope. So let's take a look. Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the uncircumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. 
And again, he says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself feel confident about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So, an interesting passage, not like the most obvious and not necessarily the most uh, immediately accessible. It's Romans, after all, and we love a little bit of Romans. The, the passage, and it is towards the end of Romans, begins and ends with hope, which is kind of a good thing. And, and I hope is one of those things that's actually pretty important for us to survive and particularly thrive uh, during times, I don't know, just perhaps like the ones we find ourselves in. Uh, perhaps we've developed a new relationship with hope and we all really value and appreciate the importance of hope. I came across one chap who put it like this. He said, I used to think hope was the icing on the cake I've now lived long enough to realize hope is the cake. Yeah, uh, Paul wrote Romans, uh, it was around, I think, the uh, year AD 57, and in social, political terms, uh, perhaps a little bit like now, but for very different reasons, it wasn't a time of great hope. It wasn't an easy time to be knocking around. Uh, the emperor, emperor Claudius had been poisoned uh, three years before, so we have made some progress in how we uh, handle our leaders, uh, possibly. Uh, he'd been poisoned three years before, and his 17-year-old, I think he was his like, great-nephew or something, Nero, <laughs> uh, he was a great success. He was young and probably, as you remember, um, not very stable. He had become, he was named emperor. And then 10 years or so after Romans was written, so somewhere around 68 AD, after a pretty turbulent 13-year reign, the Roman Senate basically ran out of patience. And Nero was declared public enemy number one. So Nero fled, and then at the age of 30, took his own life. But as you'll probably remember, you know, Nero's rule was brutal. Particularly, I mean, literally millions of people, particularly women, children uh, and the poor, uh, as well as those who'd been conquered in battle and then subsequently enslaved, enslaved. They had a terrible, terrible time of it. And there was really very, very little um, reason for any hope. It was into this bleak situation and climate that Paul is sharing this message in Romans, this message about Jesus. Um, and as we round off our One Another series, our passage actually includes three of them. Uh, we're not going to look at all three. You'll be glad to know. Uh, the first is in verse 5, live in harmony with one another. We touched on that last week. Uh, the second is in verse 7, welcome one another. And then the third is in verse 14, instruct one another. But this morning we're just going to look at Romans 15, verse 7, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Okay, so Paul is explaining how the gospel, how the good news of Jesus is actually for both the Jews and the non-Jews alike. It's for everybody. And he's acutely aware of the allegations and the accusations that are coming against him that he's not true to the traditions and the foundations of his faith. You know, he's not a proper kosher Jew. And so Paul, just to kind of refute this, what he does is he grounds his message, this stuff that he's saying, he grounds it in the scriptures. And that just 
as an aside, is a very, very good practice. You know, you'll have heard me say ad nauseam that these, these scriptures, this book, the Bible, um, you know, which I understand and appreciate, honestly, sometimes difficult in places, oftentimes difficult in places, often challenging, in spite of all of that, they are our plumb line, they are our yardstick, is our gold standard. And especially when times are hard, especially when we find ourselves in challenging and trying circumstances, it's really, really vital. I can't express it and underline it enough that as followers of Jesus, individual followers of Jesus, that we are immersing ourselves in the scriptures, that we are reading them, that we're meditating on them, that we're talking about them with one another, that we're bringing our questions and our challenges and our difficulties into our small group contexts and settings, and just allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us through the scriptures um, by the renewing of our minds. So the scriptures are incredibly important. Don't abandon the, the, the reading and the, your devotion to the scripture. And that's an individual responsibility. Only you can do that. Anyway, Paul starts with this foundational principle about the purpose of scriptures. He starts, says it in verse 4, and effectively what he's saying is everything that was written, all the stuff that's gone before, and all the stuff that was written in the past, it, it was written for the in, in, intention of instructing us and teaching us. And in essence, he's saying that it's through the scriptures that we might have the steadfastness and the encouragement to endure whatever it is that we may be facing and that we might have hope. And that's why the scriptures are so important when we find ourselves in difficulty and difficult situations because it's the Holy Spirit who then illuminates the stuff that actually gives us that steadfastness and that encouragement and that hope that sustains us in and through the middle of the trials that we may be facing. And then after telling them that the scriptures are written for this purpose, in verse 5 and 6, Paul prays for the church. And he says this, May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, he says that whole thing about welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Another translation has it like this, Take each other as partners in the same way that the anointed one took you as partners. And Paul is basically trying to say to us, that, you know, the most, the most appropriate way to deal with, you know, any of the differences that exist between us. And, you know, you get this many people in a room, there are going to be differences. And that's okay. You know, differences will come up between us from time to time. There'll be differences of opinion. You know, I've heard it said that some of you will have a difference of opinion from time to time, or you might have a difference of perspective with the people around you, maybe even the person sat next to you, especially if they're your spouse or something like that. Whatever it, the difference may be, Paul is saying, just be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. You know, take the example of Jesus. And in the same way that Christ himself has accepted each one of us, so too we should accept one another. We're to welcome others, and we're to welcome especially those who may be different to ourselves. You're to welcome others. We're to welcome others just in the same way that Christ has welcomed us. As recipients of his grace, we are to give that grace to those around us. And when we think about how is it that Jesus has welcomed us, well, he's welcomed us with kindness 
and compassion. He's welcomed us in a way that we didn't deserve and don't deserve. He's welcomed us with generosity and grace, and he's welcomed us with unconditional love. They're some of the hallmarks of the way in which we are to welcome those around us. You know, you read the Gospels. When we look at the Gospels, we see Jesus in relationship with and interacting with all kinds of very, very different people. He interacts with the Jews and the Samaritans, the Romans, Greeks, the rich, the poor, uh, those who are right at the very center of acceptable society, as well as all those who are right on the fringes, who are very, very marginalized and despised. And Jesus' message to all of them you know, and it kind of changes the language slightly in different ways. It was always very personal, the way he spoke with them. But the message was always essentially the same. And it was always along the lines of turn, or, you know, to use New Testament language, repent. Uh, turn from your previous ways of thinking. Turn from your previous ways of living. Turn from your previous ways of seeing the world and other people and what's of ultimate value. And instead of all of that, come and follow me and come and follow me in the ways of the kingdom of God. That's the invitation of Christ. And that invitation is open and extended to every single one of us every single day. Do we want to follow him, abandon this futile way of doing life, and instead come and follow him, and follow him in the ways of the kingdom of God? You see how Paul says that we're to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God? Um, Paul's constant objective is to glorify God. It's the glory of God. And you know, Paul's not just after us having good human relationships. That's important, but that's not the sole end of it. He wants us to have God-glorifying, Jesus-exalting relationships and interactions. You know, the aim of Jesus, and in this case, the Apostle Paul, is to display the glory of God, the beauty of God, the greatness of God. And in verse, uh, verses 6 and 7, they both refer and relate to the glory of God. It says this in verse 6. So that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This stuff is all about glorifying and God and bringing glory to God. Uh, one of the things that might be helpful for us to realize when we're looking at this is that when Paul's writing to the Romans, uh, he wasn't writing to a single congregation, a bit like you know he was when he wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, in Rome, there would have been sort of a whole bunch of probably smallish churches sort of dotted around the city. Some of them would have been made up of, of people of kind of a similar background, similar nationality maybe, or similar language. Some would have been Jewish converts, uh, some would have been Gentile. They would have probably, I don't know, spoken Greek, you know, with different accents or I don't know, whatever. Uh, they might have sung different songs in different churches. They might have had their own liturgies, you know, in different churches. Some of them might have had donuts, some of them might not. Um, just to let you know, donut gate is back on the, uh, on the horizon. Um, yeah, but you can be quiet. Uh, we used to serve donuts here in this church pre-COVID, right? We used to have Krispy Kremes. It used to be a lovely church. And then, um, <laughs> and then we took over and it all went um, you know, out the window. I'm not even going to mention bacon. But anyway, um, <laughs> we haven't served donuts because of COVID, because we weren't meeting, and then we didn't want to infect everybody with serving things like that. So we've stopped doing that. And then we also worried about everyone's health and calor calorific intake. But there's a little um, cabal uh, uh, starting up, asking for donuts to be back. We had donuts this morning. Um, 
And if you're on a team serving, you can have a donut. <laughs> just saying, just saying. Josh bought the donuts. He was a legend. So, um, so if you want a donut, um, get on a team. Uh, some of these churches in Rome, I doubt they had donuts, but they could have done. Uh, they were different. And what, basically, what he's saying is, Paul's saying here is, is, is he wants all the different members of all the different churches, irrespective of their differences, to, to respect one another uh, uh, across any and all of those differences, and whatever the many other differences there might be. Because, in essence, unity for God's people, sometimes in spite of a very, very broad spectrum, and there's a fairly broad spectrum of opinions and perspectives on a range of different things within this congregation itself, which we love. Um, we do love. It's just interesting from time to time. But that's part of the way that we, as followers of Jesus, you know, us lot, will be assigned to the world of his kingdom rule and reign. It's the fact that we are different and we have different opinions and different thoughts about different things, but we are fundamentally united in and through Christ Jesus. We don't all want to be the same. That's, e no, that's easy, that's boring, you know? But it's can we live in unity around our differences? That's the challenge and that's the mark of the kingdom and that's what brings glory to God. Okay. So that's why we can see why this matters. How we behave, how we interact with one another, why it makes such a massive, massive difference. And, you know, as followers of Jesus here this morning, we very much need to be thinking both personally, you know, and individually and as a congregation about how we welcome others in such a way that God is glorified. And so just by way of an example, let's ask ourselves, how many new people have we spoken to this morning? You know, I don't mean new as in this could be the first time that they've been. I mean, they might be. But um, how many people have we spoken to since we arrived here this morning? Because we all got here really early. So we had plenty of time to chat to people, you know, over coffee. Because we were all here at 10 o'clock. So we were here at 10 o'clock ready to welcome everybody and have coffee and chat and chat and chat and then ready for the service to start at half past ten you know you remember that bit and then um, so how many people have we spoken to since we arrived this morning who we didn't know before we had that conversation because probably it is I mean it's likely that there are plenty of us here who kind of recognize that face across the room but we don't actually know them we've never actually sort of spoken to them Every single week, there are new. There are people here who are new to this church. You know, maybe they're they're visiting. Maybe they're trying to find out whether this is the part of the body of Christ that God is calling them to. Um, maybe they're realizing that this isn't couldn't possibly be the part of the body of Christ God's calling them to because there are no donuts, or there used to be donuts, and now because of cutbacks, there's no donuts. Um, the question is, how have we welcomed them? You know, and I don't just mean the people on the welcome team, out on the desk, although that's part of it. I mean every single one of us. How much time has each one of us spent looking around the room, you know, where you're kind of half listening to me and half not, you know, looking around the room and saying to ourselves, oh, there's a face I don't recognize. I'm, once Neil's finished speaking or whatever, that'll be nice, but I mean, I don't let me stop you. Um, I'm just going to go over and say hello. I'm just going to go over and and welcome them in the name of Jesus. And then maybe get chatting to them and, uh, and doing that thing that we talked about last week about honoring others and, and seeing how we can help connect them maybe with this part of the body of Christ. Maybe, I don't know, invite them to your small group 
so they feel welcomed and they, you maybe meet them before your small group and take them to your small group or invite them to something that's going on in the life of the church. Maybe invite them to lunch after church. I don't know, just say, do you fancy going for a bite to eat or do you fancy going for a drink to the local pub? I don't know. You know, you, use your imagination. How are we welcoming those who come through those doors on a Sunday? And indeed, the reality is, wherever and whenever it is that we meet people. And while we're here, um, oh, here's, a, here's an aside, sorry. Did anybody have any trouble getting in the gates this morning? Okay, um, I have to apologize again. Uh, we are in constant discussion. Uh, with the school about the gates. They're insisting that the gates are closed, which is an incredibly beautiful welcome. Locked, high gates with thorns and bushes and briars and barbed wire. Um, and the gates are then broken and so don't necessarily always work. And so I think this morning, this gate isn't working. I think that gate is working. I think that car park is full, but then nobody knows where to go. Basically, I can only apologize. For those of you who are regular here, um, can you just bear that in mind? And if you get here at half past nine, you know, maybe by 10 o'clock you'll have actually made it in. Um, and uh, for those of you who are visiting, I'm really, really sorry. We are working on it. Um, what we need, so what we're talking about here is with the welcome. You know, we've got a great team of welcomers. You know, they show up week in, week out to help connect and, pe and welcome people to the church. But we could really do with some more teams. We could really do with more people on the welcome desk. And so if you're not serving anywhere, you know, if you're not helping out with the life of the church somewhere, come and find me afterwards and maybe give the welcome team a shot and see how you like it. You know, if you hate it, you can go and try something else. Uh, but maybe you'll love it. Maybe you'll be a fantastic welcomer. You don't have to have been in the church for 20 years to join the welcome team. This could be your first Sunday. Uh, come and find me afterwards and we'll get you on a team to welcome other people. It's a great way to connect with the life of the church. And somewhat bizarrely, the more you welcome others, the more welcomed you feel yourself. Uh, and I also probably need some people to volunteer for gate duty. So come and find me afterwards. We'd love to help you welcome people on the gates. That would be fantastic. So come and see me afterwards. Back to Romans. What Paul's saying to these churches made of different nationalities, these Jewish congregations, Gentile congregations, is that God has done what he always said he would. You know, and, and what does this mean today? With the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, God has established this new reality, this single family called the church, united in Christ Jesus, a Jewish Gentile covenant family, just as God had promised to Abraham. And everyone, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, whoever believes in, whoever has faith in the God who raised Jesus from the dead, we are now full members of the new covenant and part of this body, this family, this bunch, this church, a fresh act of grace uh, received by faith. Uh, let me try and quickly uh, recap. I haven't got time to recap. I'm not going to recap. I mean, you know what's going on. In verses 8, I just want to touch on verses 8 to 12 because, you know, Jesus is, uh, Paul is basically saying, you know, Jesus is our example in the way that we want to welcome everybody. And what he does in 8, eight to 12 is he kind of goes on, I'll just finish with this, to describe something of Jesus' ministry and purpose. Uh, this is verse 8. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs may be confirmed, and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his 
mercy, um, for his mercy. And then, so what basically Paul's saying is, you know, Christ becomes a servant and became a servant of the Jews. Jesus was born a Jew. Uh, he was God's Messiah for Israel. And God had like these two objectives to accomplish through the life and ministry of Jesus. And the first was to fulfill the promises made to the patriarchs of Israel, which you see in Romans chapter 8. And then secondly, was that the Gentiles, or all peoples, would also glorify God for his mercy. And what Paul's saying here and elsewhere when you read Paul is that these purposes through the ministry of Jesus have now been achieved in and through the person of Jesus. And the church made up of both Jews and Gentiles, you see it all in Ephesians chapter 2, has now been formed and established. And then to demonstrate, and I just want to touch on this because I just like it, um, demonstrate on the legitimacy, kind of in the kosherness of what he's saying. What he does, he quotes four passages from the Hebrew Bible, and we're going to look at those very quickly. And perhaps significantly, and maybe coincidentally, they're all sections taken from all kind of bits of the um, Old Testament. There's the law of Moses, there's the prophets and the Psalms. So they're all represented as are the three of the kind of greatest Jewish heroes, Moses, David, and Isaiah. And it's no coincidence. We get to see Paul's thinking and we get to see his grounding it back into the scriptures for his audience. And so first of all, in verse 9, uh, which comes from David's song of deliverance into Samuel and Psalm 18, David praises God among the Gentiles. It's all to say that this Old Testament stuff, this, this, war, you know, this indication that this was going to be for everybody was already there. The seeds were already sown. David praises God among the Gentiles. Therefore, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. The second in verse 10, Romans 15 verse 10, is, it comes from Moses' song in Deuteronomy chapter 32, where Moses exhorts the Gentiles again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And then the third is in verse 11, it comes from, and again, this is just, is this coincidence or is it like intentional? But it's the shortest and middle chapter of the Bible, Psalm 117, verse 1, where the psalmist commands the Gentiles to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples praise him. It's right at the very heart of the Bible. And then the fourth is in uh, uh, Romans 15, verse 12, comes from Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 11 about the kingdom of God where Isaiah prophesies that the Gentiles will live under the rule and reign of the roots of Jesse. Roots of Jesse is Jesus and that their hope will be in him. Paul's point is that the scriptures have foreseen that every nation, every person, every tribe will be blessed by God. And the result of what God has now done in Christ is that there is hope and there's joy and there's peace and there's freedom that is available to all people who believe, no matter who we are, no matter where we've come from, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't make any difference. And so we as recipients of God's grace, as those who ourselves have encountered the love of God, the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, we are called. It is on us. The mandate is on us, every single one of us, to welcome and accept others just as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Does that all make sense? Nod, nod politely. Let me just finish with the blessing from Romans 15, verse 13, and then we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
Amen.